Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. And this is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, beloved. Listen, the Lord has us parked over here dealing with the high sounding nonsense and the madness that many well-meaning, although professing Christians Believe they can live however they want because of God's grace. Grace is not a license to sin, but to overcome sin. Yes, beloved. Listen, we know scripture is unanimous about eternal life. We know that eternal life is promised to the one who endures until the end, having lived a life characterized by righteousness. I want to give us some scriptures about eternal life because eternal life is a precious promise that has been given to born-again, spirit-filled, spirit-led children of the Most High God. John 10, 28-30. Jesus is talking about who his true sheep is. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Amen. And what is tragic is that there are many doctrines of demons. And what our 
enemy does is that he takes scripture and twists it. So we see all of these precious promises. The camp of eternal security and once saved, always saved. Well, guess what? They come here too to these same scriptures and apply it across the board to those who willfully sin. They think that this is the glue that will keep them stuck to Jesus irregardless of the fact that they are not obeying Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Proverbs 8.35 For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Amen. 1 Peter 5.10 Beloved, I meant to tell you all this. It is cracking open the Bible day today. Grab something to write with. Grab your journals, your piece of paper. If you got to write these scriptures on your wall, we must be able to defend the truth with the word of God. So if you encounter anyone that's coming against your your teaching and your preaching, that we must live lives in keeping with our repentance, producing good fruit. Well, you can tell them, thus saith the Lord, and share with them these scriptures. Because God's word, as we all know, is being adulterated. His commandments of us living clean and holy is being watered down with the doctrine of tolerance. No, beloved. Listen, 1 Peter 5.10 and the, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Amen. So, beloved, I'm, I'm going over these precious promises we find in the word on eternal life. I'm not coming against that eternal life doesn't exist. I'm coming against the false doctrine of eternal security that teaches that no matter what you do, you can still get to go to heaven because of God's grace. No matter how you live, whether it be good or bad, you still get to go to heaven anyway. That's the part. I'm here to debunk the anyway part of it all. Anyway, live in any kind of way. That's what I'm coming against in the name of Christ Jesus. Listen, 
1 John 2, 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Amen. 1 John 5.11 John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only one and begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.17 for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen. First John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. Psalm 139, 23-24 Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way, in the way everlasting. Amen, beloved. God does know our hearts and he knows exactly what is in it. We must pray that he will find any offensive way in us and lead me, lead you in the way everlasting. The problem that we are having today in the church, not the apostate church, I'm talking about the ecclesia, the body of Christ. When you consistently sit up under false teachings, these truths get twisted. Because the bishop is in sin. For the most part, the congregants are in sin. So to appease guilty consciences, they take these comforting truths and equate them to the fact that someone said I believe in Jesus. I confess his name. But what comes with believing in Jesus? Obeying Jesus. 
are hearing and following and sticking close to his teachings, his unadulterated teachings. And so, John 17, 3, Jesus was praying to the Father. Now, this, and, and, and he's and he's about to explain to us what is eternal life. Okay, pardon the interruption there. John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. That's eternal life, beloved. Romans 6.23, for the, <clears throat> for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Revelation 21.3-4, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Amen. I told you it is cracking open up the Bible day today. First Timothy 6, 12. Fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen. I told you, beloved, they love to come to these precious promises because for them, these promises right here backs up their claim that nothing can separate us from this eternal life. Nothing. And that also includes sin and the person's bad behavior, indulging in it. After they have been set free from sin. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Listen. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. 13 to 14. To enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate. And broad is the road. That leads to destruction. And guess what beloved. Many. Enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the one who died and shed his blood for you, 
Well, guess what? He's telling us not everybody will make it into the kingdom. You want to know why? Because the path to get there, it is straight, not crooked and bent and twisted that you can live your best Gucci, Prada, Tesla, Chanel, Fendi life in sin and still get in. He's saying no. The road that leads to eternal life, it is straight and narrow. It is not wide. It is not tolerant. It does not authorize and condone sin. That's why the road to destruction, oh, it is easy. It is wide. And many are on that path. They take the path of least resistance. They take the path that doesn't command that they live a clean and holy life. Now that we have been saved by God's grace, it's like a free for all over there. And guess what? We were there, but now we are here. The way, beloved, and listen, don't let anyone trick and fool you to believe that you don't have to stay on the road that is that is straight and narrow. Because those of us on this straight and narrow path, all we are trying to do is to tell both sinners and the religious sleeping Christian that the path to eternal life, it is straight and it is narrow. And absolutely, we must walk in obedience and live godly, upright, sensible lives in Christ. So, what else before we move on? Mm-hmm. Revelation 1.8. Revelation 1, 8, and then I'm going to give us Galatians 6, 8. Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Galatians 6, 8, whoever sows to please their flesh. Now, keep in mind, these scriptures are for believers. Paul over here writing to the church in Galatia because they were falling away from Jesus. They were believing all of this high sounding nonsense about how you must also keep the law in addition to grace. So it. It, it was a mess because in Galatians chapter five, he was giving them the, the big business about this mess because he's telling us actually in verse seven of Galatians six that God won't be mocked. 
He he is not going to put up with anyone ridiculing and destroying and mocking his word, his word of truth. Oh, absolutely not, beloved. So in verse eight of Galatians six, whoever, listen, whoever souls, because that Whoever can apply to sinners as well. Because Paul is like, whoever. That includes saints who think God is playing with that lake of fire. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Amen. Okay. Let's move it along. Because we, we must talk about this grace. This grace has been so hyped up. To the point that people do not fear the Lord. No, they want to keep talking about, yeah, but grace covers. Yeah, but the blood covers. Yeah, but it is only by faith alone. Yes, those are all biblical truths. Again, what part of we must live clean and holy post-salvation are we not understanding? Listen, you... You cannot have your cake and eat it too. You can't have your fire insurance and still live like the devil. Jesus keeps telling us you cannot serve two masters. So this grace, okay, that freed us, that saved us from God's wrath, well, guess what? This same grace is our teacher. <laughs> yes, it teaches us to avoid sin. Let's go to Titus 2. Starting in verse verses 11 to 14. And then we're going to take a quick peek over there to chapter 3. For the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation uh-huh has appeared to all men yes beloved Christ Jesus showed up died for our sins on the cross according to the scriptures and was buried and on the third day God raised Jesus from the dead according to the scriptures Jesus was seen in his resurrected body by over 500 people. Witness Jesus walking around after his crucifixion. 40 days later, he ascended to heaven where he is still alive, beloved, making intercessions for his saints as he awaits to make his enemies, his footstool. Yes, he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Still, 
2,000 plus years after the resurrection. So, verse 12, Titus 2, it, it what? This grace that saved us? Well, now guess what? Because out of all the scriptures, the once saved, always saved, eternal security camp keep throwing at us. I personally have yet to see Titus 2.12 being thrown at me about this amazing, remarkable, undeserved grace of God. I have yet to see Titus 2.12 because Titus 2.12 debunks all of this hyper grace. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly and moral desires. And guess what else grace does for us, beloved? Well, it teaches us to live sensible, okay, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflect spiritual maturity. This is what grace also does for us. And this is the part of grace no one seems to me wants to talk about. They only want to talk about how grace saves them and and, and we don't have to do nothing else. We don't have to do nothing else about our salvation. But now that we are saved, we are commanded now, post-salvation, to work it out. And how do you work out your salvation? Well, with fear and trembling that if we don't maintain the course, if we don't live clean and holy... If we don't produce fruit in keeping with our repentance, which is our reasonable duty since Christ died for our sins, becoming the propitiation for our sins, averting God's wrath from us deservingly unto himself. We are to live holy lives. Beloved, if we don't live godly lives now that we are in the family, Jesus is telling us over here in Matthew 13, 30, let both grow together because he's talking about the wheat and the tares. Until the harvest and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this is what happens when we choose on purpose not to live godly lives now that we are born again. Because coming back over here to Titus uh, 2, where are we at now? Verse 13, right? 
Because verse 12 was telling us clearly that grace teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflect spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who, in verse 14, willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us, listen, to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Amen. Beloved, listen. Okay? Because see, I'm not talking to those who know the way that it is straight and narrow. I'm talking to you, precious, who keeps playing with your salvation. You know exactly how you are living and you know it's not living right. And if you think that you can live slandering the brethren, if you think you can still keep on with your masturbation and your adultery, and your weed smoking, and your fornication, and your and your homosexuality, being a gossip, and a liar, and a thief, and being covetous, and greedy, and lustful in heart, you are deceived, and you are living in great self-delusion. You, listen to me, okay, because I'm telling you this in love. You are setting yourself up to be on that broad way going straight to a burning hell. Now, I know you don't want to hear that because all you've been hearing from your wolf pastor and bishop is that you are good to go. You ain't good to go if you are not growing spiritually. If you are not maturing in the things of God, well, then how do you expect for God to use you for his purpose and his plans? Because let me assure you, beloved, God will never use a dirty vessel to get his will done in the earth. And this is why, thank you, Holy Spirit. We have many well-meaning, okay, well-meaning, self-professing Christians that are depressed, that are taking psych medications to try to calm these intrusive thoughts they keep getting. They take these medications and street drugs to quiet their soul because the soul is out of control. 
You want to know why? Because that soul is not being guided by Holy Spirit. I know you want to go to heaven. I know you want to inherit eternal life. But we must live clean. That is not earning your salvation. I'm talking about and I am only talking about post-salvation. Now that you are born again, we have been set free from the power and dominating control of sin. Study Romans chapter 6. It is in there. Sin is no longer our master because Christ defeated sin on our behalf. Yes, he did. He set us free. So if you keep saying, well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, good. We are supposed to. But are you obeying Jesus? Because again, I I keep telling you all. What goes into believing in Jesus is obedience. Are you listening to him? Are you following him? Are you sticking close to him? Are you abiding in him continuously? Does he even know you? Has he revealed himself to you? And I ain't talking about that fake phony Jesus that is being Proclaimed out of these denominational apostate churches. No, beloved, listen. I got to get back to Titus 2 over here. 14. Who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf, right? So let us come over here to Titus 3. Because see, Titus 3 is all about godly living, right? So... Verse 3 of Titus 3. For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various sinful desires and pleasures, spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when? Okay. But when, but when the goodness and kindness of our God, of God, our Savior and his love for mankind appeared in human form as the man, Jesus Christ, he saved us. Not because again, see, we are on board with this doctrine, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his own compassion and mercy by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation, regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that we would be justified, made free of the guilt of sin by hit. Listen, because 
Again, we ain't coming against the doctrine that we have to work and earn our salvation. We are reading here that it is not by our own righteousness, self-righteousness, I should say, because uh, where we at verse seven, so that we will be justified, made free of the guilt of sin by his compassionate, undeserved grace. And that we would be acknowledged as acceptable to him and made heirs of eternal life, actually experiencing it according to our hope, his guarantee. Amen. So if we come down, no, no, no. Verse eight, verse eight. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying and concerning these things, I want you to speak with great confidence so that those, so that those who have trusted in, relied on, and accepted Christ Jesus as Savior, listen, will be careful to participate in doing good and honorable things. Amen. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Not having a mental assent about him and then you live your life in deliberate, blatant, habitual sin. No. Those who have trusted, relied, and accepted Christ as Savior will be careful. Because you see, this is, a, thank you, Holy Spirit. This is what working out your own salvation means right here. Being careful to participate In doing good and honorable things. This is what we do post-salvation. This is not a work unto salvation. He's telling us how we are to live now that we have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's telling us how we are to live now that we have trusted in, relied on, and accepted Christ Jesus as Savior. Well, we are careful to live lives that reflect doing good and participating in those honorable things. That's how we are to live, beloved. But the camp of one saved, always saved, they can't get here. They can't get to the part that along with grace being in the Bible, well, so is godly living. <laughs> I don't know. Because see, to me, I'm getting the impression that they believe that once they believe in Jesus, they don't have to do anything else. Well, then what kind of life are you living if you don't think you don't have to do anything else but but make a confession? What about 
the rest of your born again life? How are you living that? Don't keep telling me, well, the grace of God and the blood covers the sin and we have an advocate. Yes, yes, and yes, you're right. Absolutely, we have an advocate. I'm asking about the lifestyle. I'm not asking about salvation and, and how do we receive it. Let's move on. Let us move on. Let us talk about living the rest of your life until he calls you out of that bodysuit. Now that you are born again, how are you living life? Don't tell me that we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about hell. We don't have to worry about the lake of fire. God is merciful and graceful. We know. Yes. I'm asking you, how are you living? Well, because you know, the grace of God forgives us of sin. I know this. And you're right. So then why are you still living with your fiance and you two have yet to get married, but every night you're still having sex? You are committing fornication. No, but she's going to be my wife. Okay, well, until she becomes your covenant spouse, you need to stop having sex with her. Mm -hmm. And listen, beloved. We got to deal with this issue. Many professing Christians believe that there is nothing they can do that would snatch their salvation away from them. They totally bank on the fact that because they said a sinner's prayer, which, by the way, is not biblical, that is not how one is born again by quoting a prayer. Because if that's the case, then then that's a work that we can boast about our salvation. Well, I know I'm saved because I said the uh, sinner's prayer. Mm -mm. Listen, even that bishop who shook your hand and told you, welcome to the family. He don't know that you are born again. In that moment, no one knows it. Only God knows if that unregenerated spirit was truly born again. And how we would know it is when you start living your life after that. Because if you are still living your life like a sinner, well, conversion has not <clears throat> has not taken place. So the bishop can't tell you you are saved. He don't know that. How could he know it? Because he may plant the seed. He may water the seed, but it is God who makes it grow. He gives the increase. We don't know if any one of us are truly born again. We can get a clue when we start looking at some of the fruit that you are producing. Listen, you can't bank on the fact 
that because you said a sinner's prayer and the bishop shook your hand and welcomed you into the family, that you have eternal, as they say, security. Mm-mm. And these are they who don't who don't live a life of repentance. They don't live a clean and holy life because they believe they don't have to. They don't have to do anything to maintain salvation because they say, well, if you if you have to maintain it, then that's self-righteousness. No, it is not. Listen, let's get the definition right. Holy Spirit of what self-righteousness truly is. Self-righteousness is all about I'm living in sin, but I'm, I'm telling you about your sin. I'm speaking all of this high and mightiness, but I got a big old plank in my eye. I think I'm better than you because I quote unquote been in the body longer than you, but I'm in sin. But because I don't think my stuff stinks, your stuff stinks. And therefore, I'm going to let you have it about just how much you do stink. Okay, see, that's self-righteousness. So, listen, these are they who don't live clean and holy lives because God's grace got them covered. Therefore, producing fruit in keeping with their repentance is a work unto salvation. Beloved, listen, the doctrine of eternal security flatly contradicts scripture and it is commonly used as a smoke screen to justify sinful lifestyles oh yes it does in other words once saved always saved appeals to the most carnal leanings of our humanity the doctrine of eternal security gives false legitimacy for sin. False comforts to sinners and builds a pseudo biblical barrier between countless sinners and repentance. Mm -hmm. It gives you a false hope of security because if this is the case, if we can live however we want, well, the Holy Spirit is about to give us a number of scriptures that contradict this mindset that you don't have to live clean and holy. Why? Because my past, present, and future sins were all nailed to the cross because, see, that's the kissing cousin of the false doctrine of one saved, always saved. Uh-huh. Because, listen, the notion of eternal security, it shares similarities with Satan's seduction of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because the serpent assured Eve over there in Genesis 3, 4, ye shall not surely die. Mm -hmm. And this satanic implication 
being that Eve could live in disobedience without fear of divine consequences. The doctrine of eternal security makes the same false claim, and it originates from the same satanic source. Here's the primary passage of scripture used to prop up the concept of once saved, always saved. You ready? Here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. That's Romans 8, 35 to 39. Well, beloved, first of all, this is a tremendously encouraging passage of scripture. But guess what? It's talking about God's unconditional love, not unconditional salvation. Let me say it again. This passage, tremendous, encouraging as it is, because it is. It ain't talking about unconditional salvation is talking about God's unconditional love is that love that no one can separate us from his love it's not talking about us being separate um, it's, it's not talking about how salvation can't be taken away from us no beloved listen with close examination you will find that sin is not once mentioned in the context of this promise. If you can find it, please show it to me. Because in the opening line of verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's not, Paul is not asking what, no, yeah, what shall separate us from our salvation? He's not, see, he's not talking about salvation being separated. He's talking about the love of God not being separated by all those things that Paul goes on to convey. Mm-mm. So, if we truly examine this passage, we are not going to find that sin 
We are not going to find that sin is at any time mentioned here. It's not talking about sin at all. It's talking about who shall separate us from the love of God. Yeah, I'm pausing because I'm I'm going over the scripture again because I'm I'm looking. I'm looking. I, I don't see anything that's talking about sin, that's talking about salvation. It is only talking about what can be possible to separate us from the love of Christ. And at the end of it, nothing can. Nothing can separate us. Mm-hmm. From his love, his love. So let me see what I got for you. Mm-hmm. Because other passages that support the whole false doctrine of one saved, always saved, they love to pull on John 3.15, John 5.24, John 10.28, Romans 8, 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Mm -hmm. Because you see, the emphasis for them is, is always on external forces, having no authority over your personal responsibilities toward God, towards God. So let's put it this way. Okay. Nothing can force you to separate yourself from God except you. Satan can't make you do it any more than he made Eve do it. Eve exercised her free will. Adam exercised his free will. And they both suffered the consequences of their actions. Because sin, listen, sin separates us from a right relationship with the father. We got to understand the wages of sin. It caused us to be separated eternally from God and the Lord Jesus Christ in this lake of fire. And if you believe and because you've been taught this high sounding nonsense, empty philosophy that it doesn't matter how you live. It don't matter how you live. Because as long as you believe Jesus in your heart and confess with your mouth, he is Lord, you are good to go. Okay, Bible teacher, what about what about life after I said this unbiblical sinner's prayer? I keep telling y'all, listen, check the playlist. I say maybe about a year or two ago, I may just pull it up and repost it about Romans 10 verses 9 through 10, because people believe that's the Romans road to salvation. That if we if we confess what that scripture says, then we are saved. But we must pull it all into context. You know what? I'm going to dig into the crates as they say, and I'm going to pull up that teaching and repost it. 
so that it can be current on the playlist. So whenever we refer to, yeah, but Paul says all we have to do is confess with our mouth. Okay, well then replay it and share it. So we know the wages of sin. Okay. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. So, if we look to Peter, the apostle, he calls us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who did no sin. We see this in 1 Peter 2, in verses 21 to 22. Because a few verses down, he underscores that Jesus bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. See, beloved, the Holy Spirit is imparting that since Christ died for our sins, we being dead to sin. Because the Bible tells us to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, right? So, who is this? Peter is saying that we should live unto righteousness. And he's talking about this living unto righteousness after how Christ died for our sins. Now that we are in Christ, we are to live unto righteousness that's how we are to live we are not to live not doing anything no so the implication is that if we are not living unto righteousness do we still get to go to heaven that's my question because if that's the case then let's get the party really started. Then if I can go back to how I lived, oh, yeah, <laughs> it will be Sin City right here in the state of Texas. Don't don't uh, tell me I get to go back to my sin. Hmm, I will burn the whole state down <laughs> the way I was living. Yeah, I hmm. Las Vegas would have nothing on Texas if Cynthia Smalls get to go back to her sin. Let me tell you. So, let me ask you this, beloved. Is the Bible talking about you who keep claiming the name of Jesus and still are playing around with sin? Is the Bible talking to you over here in Titus 1? Titus 1 verse 16, they profess to know God, to recognize and be acquainted with him, but by their actions, they deny and disown him. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for good work of any kind. Is Paul talking about you? Hmm. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test and evaluate yourselves. Beloved, test and evaluate yourselves to see 
whether you are in the faith and living, listen, <laughs> and living your lives as committed believers. Amen. Holy Spirit, you are right. I can't ask this question enough today. How do you think we are to live post-salvation? Well, Paul is saying we are to live it as committed believers. <laughs> it's not rocket science, beloved. He says, or do you? Right. He says, examine yourselves, not me. Because see, real quick backstory. What was going on was that the church at Corinth, some of them were coming. <laughs> they were coming for a Paul about his credentials, whether or not is he truly an apostle. Like they were coming for him. And he is like, Examine yourself. Don't don't be examining me because I know where I am in in all of this. OK, examine yourself, not me. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is in you unless. Hmm. Unless. Unless indeed. You fail the test and are rejected as counterfeit. Paul is asking them a question. He's telling them, listen, don't be coming for me because I, I, I know the way that is straight. And I know that the way is straight and narrow. Examine yourselves to see where you are in the faith. Are you, in fact, living your life as committed believers? Mm -hmm. Because if you fail that evaluation, you are rejected as a counterfeiter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, Luke 6. I love Luke 6, 46. Only because our Lord Jesus Christ... He never pulled any punches. He let you have it. Okay. Especially coming up against hypocrisy. Uh-uh. He pulled no punches. He gave you a two-piece dinner. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not practice what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and obeys them, I will show, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the the torrent burst against that house and yet could not shake it. Why? Because it has been securely built and founded on the rock. Amen. And who is the rock? Jesus Christ. So he's telling us everyone who comes to him and listens to his words and obeys them mm -hmm. because of right uh -huh, holy spirit the bible tells us we are not to be hearers only but doers that means 
You heard what he said. <laughs> you heard what Jesus said. But are you doing what he said? Either to do it or not to do it. To keep on doing it or stop the madness. Which road are you truly on? Because those on that Broadway will tell you in a minute. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I know I'm going to heaven. Uh-huh. And these are they that continue to dress like a harlot, continue to sleep around, refuse to come up out of these adulterous remarriages. But because they are handing out Bibles, because they because because they are out on the streets preaching, they think that they are good to go because they are doing the Lord's work. Well, Jesus is going to tell a lot of these false prophets and teachers and deceived, quote unquote, Christians, depart from me. I never knew you. And and they will throw at him all of the works they were doing in his name. And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Uh huh. And he will banish them from his presence. I'm telling you, Jesus is not playing with none of us. All of us must examine where we are in this faith. So listen, the denominational uh-huh, doctrine once saved, always saved is false, unbiblical, and destructive, and it is damnable. Because according to this false doctrine, once a person becomes a Christian, there is nothing that they can do to fall from God's grace, which would result in them being lost eternally. Simply put, once someone gets saved, they are incapable, incapable of losing their salvation. That is what this false doctrine teaches, beloved. And sadly, so many people have been and are being deceived by this false doctrine. This false doctrine needs to be exposed. And I believe this is why the Holy Spirit is having us camped over here with in this madness. We, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, need to help others see with certainty that the Bible teaches a child of God who is saved can sin, can so sin as to fall from the grace of God and lose their soul for eternity over there in the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I was just speaking with a brother in the other day, yesterday to be exact. Cause <laughs> what you what you must know about me is that what's in my heart is going to come out. Even when I try to suppress it sometimes because People tend to think I'm a bit radical about Jesus, and I am. You want to know why? 
I can't stop talking about him because he saved my wretched, lying, harlot, fornicating, adulterous soul. That's why. And so although I tried not to, you know what I mean? You understand, right? A time and a place for everything. But if I, I, I can't, it's like fire shut up in my bones. If I'm among confessing believers and if they are participating in the works of the flesh, how can I just idly stand by and not say anything? I, I, I can't do it. I I can't as as much as the brain be like, no, Cynthia, we ain't going there today. We're not gonna, you know, make anyone feel condemned because you you always come in with can't do that. The Lord says this. The Bible makes it clear. It, it sometimes I, 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 I can't help it because I love the brethren. And I don't want to see anyone being led astray and deceived. If we are participating in anything that the Bible says that will keep us out of the kingdom and I know about it and I'm witnessing that you are participating in the fruitless deeds of darkness. I got to tell you, thus saith the Lord. I can't. So, so much I got, you know what, I may just save what I was going to touch on a little later. Because, beloved, listen, we barely touched the tip of the iceberg with all of this. We can live how we want and and, and still get to go to heaven because... I truly understand and love what Paul says over here in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He was saying that how he keeps his body under and that he bring it into subjection. Lest, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become I should, no, I myself should be a castaway. Amen. And the word castaway refers to one who does not stand the test and is rejected because Paul knew that without practicing self-control, he would be rejected by God. Amen. What is this? Mm-hmm. The Bible not only teaches it, it is possible for Christians to fall from grace. It gives an example of Christians who fell from grace. Some of those Christians to whom Paul was writing. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to save this because this is good. This is another research on just how damnable that one saved, always saved, high sounding nonsense will send many straight to a burning hell. Yeah, you know what? I am going to, mm hmm. Yeah, because if I get in, into what I want to get into, 
It's going to be a three-hour podcast. I, I can't assure you. So, beloved, in closing, okay, before we head out the door, we just got to nail it today. We have, like I said, but just hit the tip of the iceberg with this notion that we can live however we want and still inherit the kingdom of God. That is why we must debunk the doctrine of eternal security for it is false and damnable. Because this here is the kicker. Few people will argue against the the scriptural emphasis on living above sin. They will tell you, yeah, we are not supposed to be living lives of sin. They will actually tell you that. But then many would say that righteous living is the best way, but it is not a requirement for heaven after obedience to the gospel. So, as I let y'all go, let us take a look at some more scriptures that prove that it is possible to throw away your salvation and trample upon the grace of God. It is doable. Because they love to to pull on Romans 8.35, right? How nothing can separate us from our salvation. Again, it's talking about nothing can separate you from the love of God. His love is unconditional. But if you willfully sin, and if you continue to live a life characterized by sin. Well, Hebrews 10, 26 tells you exactly what the expectation will be. And it is not you inheriting the kingdom of God. Your, my only expectation will be of fiery judgment, raging fire, beloved. So listen, the parable of the sower, right? gives us insight into the issue at hand. Christ Jesus speaks of individuals who receive the gospel immediately with joy, but when afflicted or persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. So are you calling Jesus a liar that people who receive God's word could never, could never, nor have the ability to fall away. Because if they do, according to them, if they do fall away, then then they were never born again in the first place. No, we ain't talking about that. We talking about believers, okay, who were spirit-filled. We talking about them. I ain't talking about counterfeiters, okay, because from day one, they... They never did right in the first place. We talking about those who were doing right, but then they left Jesus. They separated themselves from his love because he ain't going nowhere. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's totally committed. It's 
some of us who are not committed to him. Listen, thank you, Holy Spirit, because he's not. He ain't going anywhere. We are the ones who are foolish enough to leave him. I'm going to say it like this, and I truly mean no disrespect. So please do not be offended when I say that when we leave Jesus, after tasting the goodness of the Lord, then we are a bunch of idiots. Idiots. Ignorant. Ignorant idiots and downright foolish and stupid. Stupid. Yes. And I say that with love. Truly, truly, I do. We are a bunch of idiots if we leave Christ Jesus, knowing that he's the propitiation for our sins. His self-sacrifice on the cross averted God's condemnation and his fiery wrath toward us. Where else are we going to go to be saved from the wrath of God if not Christ Jesus? Think about it. Because Peter says something so profound that sticks with me every day. When Jesus asked the question to his disciples, because he had other disciples outside of the core 12, when he started preaching things they couldn't understand, they left him and he turned around and asked them, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where are we going to go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. And I'm of the same mindset. Where am I going to go if I'm stupid enough to leave Christ Jesus? Because the world wants you back. Satan wants you back. Oh, yes, he does. Only to destroy you. And I'm quite sure somewhere in hell, there's a level of punishment a degree of punishment awaiting those cowards who knew the way is straight and narrow, but left Jesus for the world. We talking about spiritual adultery. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we need to consider Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, he's talking about believers, not false converts. Mm -mm, get that out of your head. All of this, what's going to happen to those who fall away? They weren't false converts. All these scriptures are taught. Listen, I'm telling you what's happening right now. We are talking about those who were on board with the gospel. Who were, listen, who were living spirit-filled lives. But because they chose, they chose to get themselves entangled up and enslaved by sin again. They chose to leave Jesus. They fell from his grace. Well, if they did that, they were never born again in, in the first place. First of all, Right, Holy Spirit. First of all, how do you know that? We don't know whether or not they were truly born again or not. 
But because how they lived their lives in righteousness, we knew they were born again. You don't know if this person was a was a false convert or not. When we see fruit of righteousness. But then what happened? What happened to cause them to leave Jesus? Yeah, I don't know. All I know, it was dumb, foolish, ignorant. So... For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. See, these people had the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. This is, beloved, if we continue to live a life of sin and then we then we come back to Christ and then we leave Christ and then we come back to Christ. We are crucifying him all over again. What you doing? Why aren't you being committed and devoted? Why? Because it's impossible to live a life without sin. Says who? You? Because the Bible says that we have Holy Spirit indwelling us to teach us and train us in righteousness. We have his word. So what's the problem? The problem is you are not committed. For some reason, you thought living clean and holy was just too much and you gave up. You gave up. Listen, this journey is until death, <laughs> not until the next club date, not, not until the next booty call, not until the next weed man knocking on your door talking about how he got this, that, and the third ready to take you to another level. That's not where your salvation ends. No, beloved, right, Holy Spirit, this is until death, having endured until the end. Because guess what? Hebrews 10, 26 to 27. For if we, talking about born again believers, the writers of Hebrews is not talking about sinners, because if they don't repent, they're going to get it too. For if we, Sin willfully after, after, again, talking about post-salvation, not working for your salvation, after, after means after, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, beloved, you ain't going to find no one else that can forgive you of your sins but Christ Jesus. So if you leave him and you off in sin and you think running up into one of these Catholic pagan churches that you can confess your sin to a sinful man in a box wearing a white collar that tells you about all you got to do is this, that, and a third rub the rosary 
X amount of times and pray to it. And if you still can't get it right, well, don't worry, because when you die, you go to purgatory and you get another bite at the apple to inherit God's kingdom. Don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. Listen, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Christ Jesus, he is the only one authorized to forgive a sinner of their sins. No mere mortal can forgive your sins. Absolutely not. No more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Amen. Uh-huh. That's what we can expect if we willfully, deliberately, blatantly, perpetually, rebelliously continue to go on sinning now that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now that we have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Now that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Our only expectation is flaming fire. That's it. Hebrews 10, 38 to 39. Now the just shall live by faith. But. But. That's conditional. If any man draw back. The Lord says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. Meditate on that. Also, okay, Peter Peter speaks plainly of people who return and are overcome by the pollutions of the world, stating that it would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness in the first place. Study 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 22, beloved, because the words of Jesus are the most potent. Not every one that said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, when he judges the inhabited world, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out demons and in thy name done many wondrous works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Amen. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Beloved, I can go on and on demonstrating scriptural 
about how it is imperative that we must not depart from the faith post-salvation or we risk divine judgment. So, I'm going to leave you all. I know I've been leaving, but I'm going to leave for real this time. I'm going to leave you with the list of scriptures proving saved individuals must continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12. Here we go. Guess what? Children of God, those who are spirit-filled, if they fall into the madness and leave Jesus, well, it is possible to fall from grace. We see this in Galatians 5 verses 1 through 4, as well as verse 13. Children of God can be led away with error. We see this in 2 Peter 3, 17. Children of God can err from the truth. We see this in James 5, 19 to 20. Children of God can uh, be weak brother. Uh, weak brother may perish. They may, get it, let me get it out. Weak brethren may perish. We see this in 1 Corinthians 8, 11. Children of God can fall into condemnation. We see this in James 5, 12. Children of God can be moved away from the hope we see this in Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Children of God can deny the Lord who bought them. We see this in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Children of God can depart from the living God. We see this in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, 12. Children of God can be a castaway. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. And last but not least, children of God can become accursed children. We see this in 2 Peter 2.14. Amen. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, we come before you with clean, holy hands, honoring and respecting your holy name. Thank you for this word today, and I pray that it brought you glory. Father, we shall honor you with our obedient, chaste lives. We understand that the way to eternal life, that road, that path, it is straight and it is narrow, and few will be on that path. We could try to play games. We could try to play mind games all we want with ourselves. If the born again child refuses to come out of sin, they will be cut down, bundled together as a withered branch who willingly broke themselves off from the vine and they will be burned in the fire that blazes with burning sulfur and brimstone for all of eternity. If we are wanting to see how much sin we can fill our lives with and still not go to hell, then we don't love you. We don't even know you, Father. 
if this is the lifestyle we saw in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Father, may this not be counted among your children who do love you. All we want to do is please you. We long to please you. We long to be taught by your Holy Spirit. Train us in righteousness. Thank you for your word that rebukes us. It corrects us. It is sound. It is good. This is how one inherits eternal life. When we Obey. Now that we are born again, Father, please help me to make it plain and clear. We must live holy thereafter. We must walk straight and narrow and keep ourselves out of willful sin. Come to find out, Father, it's not hard. It's get my paper here. It's truly not hard to abstain from every form of evil. It's not hard not to give opportunity to the devil. We give no opportunity. We take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead oppose them. We know from 1 Corinthians 10, 21, we cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. We know we cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. We are to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. We must test everything and hold fast what is good. Because we know about this judgment over here in John 3, 19 to 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Amen. This is why, Father, you tell us in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Yes, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Amen. So, Father, we have your word on the matter. Now that we are born again, we are to live clean and holy. Thus saith the Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Christ Jesus that 
the saints hold fast to your word, that we cling closely to Jesus. This is my heart's desire and my prayer this day. Have mercy. Have mercy, Father. Give us more of your grace, more of your loving kindness, more of your mercy and your goodness. You you saved my wretched soul from certain damnation and I will forever, eternally be truly grateful that Jesus died for my sins and I am no longer facing your wrath. Therefore, post-salvation, I shall live a clean, sensible, upright, and chaste life. And this is my prayer for my brethren, that we all do the same. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. All right, beloved, repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. And Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.